As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. And welcome to the weekend preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. I'm Dan Bardell, and each and every Friday we preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action alongside Bet365's Steve Freeth. Steve, how are you? Looking forward to this. Good stuff, me too. And as usual, we've got George Ellock here with us as well. It always says, "Ask George if he's busy." He's always busy. I'm not <laughs> going to ask you this. I'm not going to ask you if you're busy this week, George. I'm just going to ask you if you've had a good week. Yeah, I've had a good week. I've got a an interesting weekend ahead of me because I'm. It's my. I, I got married in July, and it's my post wedding stag this weekend. So it's been. What? Well, because it had been delayed so many times due to oh. COVID delays. Uh, my. Yeah. My best man, my brother and my best mate were determined to um, still make sure I got a send off. So I have no idea what I'm doing this weekend, but um, slight yeah, trepidation creeping in now on the eve of it. So we'll see. Sounds like a bit of a, a strange rule change that doing the, doing the stag do afterwards. And there has been another rule change or a rule change that's upcoming in football. The Great five segue. substitutes looking, thank you. It was pretty poor, wasn't it? It was really not working well at all. That yeah, It looks like five substitutes is going to become a permanent feature in football after a rule change to the laws of the game. I'll come to you first, Steve. A good or a bad idea? I suppose the the argument for the lesser sides will be that the better sides will be even better, I suppose. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that uh, naturally springs to my mind. Yeah, I I think any rule change where it's going to clearly benefit those with deeper squads and more money is not a good thing. Um, no. There, there, there are clearly issues surrounding the amount of games that the teams, are, all the players are having to play through the summer with multiple different competitions racking up the miles um going into europe and all these other things where that that cannot be a good thing um but in terms of just competitive balance it, it doesn't seem right it doesn't seem particularly fair and the thing that really annoys me and i know this a lot of people say this is we had you know last season we had um jürgen klopp and pep guardiola in particular arguing in favor of the five sub rule and they're not really ever using them it seems to be more Pep's case. He talks about the need to rest players, but it seems to be more an ability to make five changes if the game's going against them rather than being able to give players a rest. So I, yeah, I tell them to give it a rest and let's just crack on the way we are. 
Yeah, I, I quite like having the nine subs to choose from because I think it, it yeah. encourages more youngsters to get on the bench. I mean, you have to look at Cole, Cole Palmer, sorry, for Ma- Manchester City. You know, he wouldn't be getting on the bench probably if there were seven subs. So it, it is a chance for all clubs across the football pyramid to integrate youth a bit more and give them match day experience. And I like that. But, you know, you see the five subs in the Champions League. You know, Manchester United could make five subs against Atalanta. When you've got the depth of squad that, that the clubs like that have got, it's just, it isn't fair. And it's just going to encourage clubs to stockpile players a little bit more. You look how many players Chelsea have got in their squad. Yeah, I'm not sure about it. I don't think it's fair on anyone but the top four. There's a knock-on effect as well in the way that talent is able to then filter down the pyramid. If you are a Manchester City or a Liverpool and you have a player who's going to be on the fringes of the first team, knowing that you're going to be able to make five changes a game is going to make you more likely to keep a player close by in case of injuries and other things, exactly. even if they're not likely to be in that nine. And <laughs> there's almost something a bit ironic about certain managers who I've already mentioned talking about the need for, for B teams whilst also pushing for a rule that's going to further stifle the opportunity for those players to go out and play men's football. So, um, yes, I, I'm fully in agreement that... Uh, it, it would uh, it would benefit the people who, who already have a lot of football channeled towards them um, being in the best possible position. So I'm, I'm definitely against it. Yeah, let's get that in the bin, although it looks like it's happening. Before we get into the first game of the weekend, remember you can sign up to The Athletic and save 33% on access to the best newsroom in sports currently. That's just £3.33 a month for an entire year. To take advantage of that offer, just head to theathletic.com slash footballpod. Right, then Saturday lunchtime game this weekend is Leicester against Arsenal, Steve. And you know, Leicester have, have won the last couple of games. They look like they're getting more like the Leicester of the last few seasons. They've had injury problems. They've, they've had integration issues with getting new players into the system, into the team. But they're, they're starting to come good again now. So are Arsenal. This could be a good game. Yeah, looking forward to this one. Uh, I have to say, Dan, uh, two, two form sides. The betting's quite close as well. Leicester are our favourites to, to win it, as you'd expect. And you know my love for for Johnny Evans as well, which is you know great to see him him back in the fold. Um, they're still conceding goals, um, which is a, a bit unfortunate, but it, it's just you know a bit of a bit of a safety blanket the fact that he's there. You know what I mean? So um, of course Arsenal were linked with Johnny Evans not that long ago when he was at Albion. You know Arsenal fans were kind of scoffing. In fact, football fans were kind of scoffing that somebody a team as big as Arsenal should be linked with Johnny Evans. I'll tell you what, I bet you Manchester United wish they had him still. Believe me, what a player he is. I still think he'd get into most Premier League sides. Oh, he would. Perfectly honest, Johnny Evans, with his leadership as well that he offers. Yeah, he'd get in most sides. No doubt about it. I know he's coming towards the end now, you know, he's, he, he's early 30s. But uh, yeah, he's, uh, of course, he, you know, you can see the shirt behind me. I know it doesn't work on a podcast, but uh, yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's a great player. I hope he has a, uh, a, you know, a fantastic performance against Arsenal on, on Saturday. In, in what I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, and one guy who I think would definitely get into most Premier League sides is Yuri Tillemans, George. A couple of bangers in the, in the last few weeks. He only scores good goals, Tillemans. Such, such a good player, but been a good player now for a number of years. A high-quality central midfield player. I said this on another podcast that I do. If I was picking the best 11 in the Premier League and I was really doing it properly and I was looking for balance and, and players that would let the attacking players shine, I'd have Tillemans in my turn. Yeah, he's just 24 years of age as well. Doesn't turn 25 till next May. Um, one of the best centre midfielders in the in the Premier League, I would say. His 
goal, his strike early on against uh, Brentford was the lowest XG goal so far this season in the Premier League, meaning it was the most unlikely um, goal to be scored from a shot so far this season. Uh, what a hit it was as well. And, and I think there is an argument to be had that Leicester have been somewhat forgotten in this whole um, Premier League season so far because they had a difficult start. Some people seem to just write them off as being a team who we... You know, who weren't going to hit the heights that many people, such as myself, were kind of predicting in the beginning of the season. Um, and I, I think we're now starting to see, partly with Evans coming back, making a difference defensively, definitely, that those uh, not obituaries, but those takes off the back of, of poor early season form might have been a bit premature. Now they are conceding goals, as, as Steve just said, but if you have a look through their previous you know, four or five games. They conceded two against Burnley. Burnley had an XG of just 0.43. They conceded two against Palace, who had an XG of 1.17. Conceded two against Manchester United, who had an XG of just one. And then a goal against Brentford from one XG. So that, yes, they're conceding goals, but game in, game out, they're kind of conceding somewhere around one or below expected goals per game, which is which is totally fine, especially given quality of opposition, certainly in those last two wins against United and Brentford being you'd think around about top half quality um, although that might be a bit toppy on Brentford but either way I, I do think things are trending in the right direction I think the performances are getting better I think Brendan Rodgers coming out and, and very much kind of declaring himself not interested in the Newcastle job maybe get, has given this whole project a little bit of reinvigoration because as I said at the top of the answer they are a side and a, and a football club who don't want their one Premier League title to be a bizarre anomaly they are investing in players like Tielemans who are destined for the very top of the game. They have aspirations to get into the top four and back into the Champions League fairly soon. The formation change, guys, sorry, has, has, has yeah. helped, hasn't it, as well? The, you know, the, the two up top with Vardy getting some support as well. Clearly, you know, the three at the back as well as helped. And, uh, and I'm in agreement with George. I think they have kind of been forgotten. They are kind of the outsiders of the chasing pack, so to speak, as regards to to the top four. But now they keep on winning games. And I think it's quite an exciting period for Leicester and they've got every chance of uh, every chance of kicking on, I think. Yeah, new training ground. Amazing as well. Samora starting to settle in in midfield and Patson Daka is starting to show his quality as well and he's going to get some chances perhaps now with Vardy injured. The Athletics Analytics writer Tom Warville has had a closer look at Daka for us so let's take a listen. So what is Patson Daka good at? Coming from Red Bull Salzburg he played in a front two with Seko Koita um, and performed a really really good partnership there and obviously his, his scoring numbers really speak for themselves but what you have with Dakar is someone who can play on the last shoulder is good at running with the ball and those are two things that are kind of elements of goals that Jamie Vardy would score regularly for Leicester you can see how he would kind of sit like for like in Vardy's role um, but also he's comfortable with the ball at his feet and that means that he's someone who can drop deep he can link play at times and then spin and and you know, get in behind from that point. So those are some of the main features of, of Dakar's play. Um, and I think that partnership with Koita is really important because I think long term, the thinking is to have Dakar and Iheanacho. Iheanacho, the kind of very good on-the-ball player, being the kind of more of the platform striker, and Dakar being the one who peels in behind, gets into good positions to shoot from consistently and is a good finisher as well. So I think as a tandem, given their ages, given their experience, it sets Leicester up very, very well in the post-Jamie Vardy era. Thanks very much to Tom there. George, let's finish the Leicester v Arsenal preview with a tip from you. 
So look to the goalscorer markets, especially because if, as we think, uh, Jamie Vardy is unfit to start this one, then you've got a Leicester side who are favourites here with Kelechi Inacho at 6-1, to one, uh, first goalscorer, 15-8 to eight anytime. Pat Sintaka, 13-2, first goalscorer, 2-1 to one anytime. I'm not going to rush to back either of those. I think the value might lie in James Madison, um, who's 130 to score anytime. Now, he got the winner against Brentford in midweek and came out afterwards saying that he'd had a bit of a crisis of confidence, but he feels mm. back towards where he thinks he should be. And you look at his goal-scoring record when he's been playing well, and it is very, very good. You know, last season... He scored eight goals in 24 starts and seven sub-appearances, averaging a goal in well, a goal in under um, every three games, so better than a goal every three games. Before that, he scored six in the season before. He had three shots against Brentford. And I just wonder if the lack of that kind of goal-scoring focal point in Vardy just makes the likelihood of him scoring just that little bit greater. You know, he is a goal threat. He is somebody who likes to get his shots off. And whilst, you know, if Daka does come in, I have a feeling the other Thing they could do is bring Harvey Barnes in after his good display midweek on the left-hand side and, and switch back to a front three with Iheanacho in the middle. But either way, Madison will be playing 10, whether it's behind two or, or behind one. And at, at 130, I think he's a little bit overpriced to, to score any time. Yeah, I was quite not encouraged, but you know the goal he scored against Brentford, it wasn't a, a typical Madison goal. No. So perhaps adding little facets to, to his game that haven't been there before, which will only be, be a good thing for Leicester and a good thing for James Madison. Let's look now at Spurs versus Manchester United, the Saturday tea time kickoff, Steve. Watched both of those teams last weekend. Big <laughs> problems all round. Yeah, yeah. I mean, clearly, you know, George was uh, was extremely sweet on a on a Liverpool victory at Old Trafford. Um, and he's probably been uh, revelling in it this week as well. So uh, <laughs> did you back 5-0, George, by the way? I thought you might have uh, gone at some high correct scores. I backed... Most of the handicaps, so um, yeah, yeah we thought, did. We uh, did okay. It was a, thought, it was a uh, decent day Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's good. Listen, I mean, I so say we, we you know we said before Ali's kind of pulled resorts out the bag in the big games before, but this felt different. The the win over Atalanta was kind of papering over the cracks. Um, I mean, it's been it's been highlighted in the Athletic this week. Just the sight of all those Manchester United players running back to goal, trying to close down Salah and Cater. It kind of looked like it was from injury time when they was chasing the game. When in reality, it was in the fifth minute and Liverpool had just passed all the way through them, basically, to get to the edge of their area. Just complete and utter ragas Rovers type of stuff, wasn't it? You know, it was just completely, completely embarrassing. Just, you know, the scrutiny of the, the, the lack of pressing. And I suppose the elephant in the room really is, is Ronaldo, where it was kind of heralded as a, a great signing, a marquee signing, the type of signing to get them pushing towards the title when really it's been derailed before it's it's even started. And Ollie's talked about the you know the pressing on the front foot you know at home against Liverpool when really their pressing data generally has been has been bottom five and just just relying on on magic that just hasn't happened. I thought the lack of discipline as well was really showing the likes of Pogba, Ronaldo, just a just a complete lack of just discipline and the fact that Jordan Henderson I listen I've always been a Jordan Henderson fan but he was absolutely majestic even against 11 men on Sunday as well 144 touches 128 passes not many are going to are going to top that this season and I thought he was absolutely superb yeah I mean it wasn't a massive surprise uh, I, I must say I was a little bit 
um, concerned from my own, you know, financial point of view when the team news came out um, because Liverpool were clearly lacking a couple of key players. Fabinho, probably the obvious one, um, but it didn't matter in the end because one team was was very well drilled and knew exactly what their job was to do, and they had the best player in the world in top form in Mohamed Salah to, to score a hat trick. I think the first player, the first opposition player to score a hat trick at Old Trafford in the Premier League. Um, in terms of Ronaldo, because. This seems to be the new line is that Ronaldo came in and things fell apart. I don't think that's right. I think that Ronaldo showed um, in a brief snippet what he's still capable of doing with that disallowed goal. I mean, what a goal that was. I, I, I still maintain that you know a, a better tactician, a better manager would be working out how to build a team around Cristiano Ronaldo that wouldn't matter if he didn't have the legs to press or really the willingness to press either. So I, I still think there's a very good squad there. What strikes me as being the most likely thing that's going to happen now, and this is the cycle that is consistent with Manchester United and Solskjaer, even though Saturday, sorry, Sunday did feel different, this Manchester United side is good enough that they will turn it around. They will win games of football. And I'm sure the hierarchy at Manchester United know that. You know, this is not the first time that United have had a poor run under under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Normally, when the easier fixtures come around, they sort it out, they pick up enough points to push them into the top six or whatever. And then... The fans who are happy to have United legend in charge are happy again. And those who aren't are just shouting into the void. And and that is probably what they're hoping is going to start this weekend. It is, in a way, the perfect game for Manchester United to have here. Not only is there the narrative after the 6-1 defeat last season where this group of players are, are going to have something of a of, of kind of a revenge to go in search of but also it's a scalp in terms of it being an away game against a side and Spurs who've been a top six club at least at worst over the last few seasons but also a, a club who are arguably in a worse position than Manchester United or at least on a par but at the same time nobody is unaware of the fact that Tottenham are currently in this bad position if they follow up that performance and result on Saturday with another poor performance which is easily going to be the case. Steve mentioned there the lack of discipline around the United uh, players and that suggests to me that something is going to have to change massively in terms of their mindset in order to rally after what was such an abject display both in terms of individual errors in terms of this weird pressing idea which if there's ever been a more clear example that the the level of coaching at Manchester United is just so far beneath the the talent of the players where pressing isn't the person closest to the ball charges the ball down that's not how it works because then if other people are picking up players you suddenly you've got one person missing and you saw the the overlaps you know the way the amount of space that Salah and Keita were in for that first goal four minutes into a game of that magnitude it just totally showed a team who, who are unaware of how they're meant to be playing you know you look at Maguire and Shaw these are two guys who have proven themselves at the top level to be very, very capable defenders. Sure, a brilliant outlet going forward who look totally lost in at sea. And, and you can't lay the blame down at their door for that because they don't know how they're meant to be playing. You know, Gareth Southgate gets a lot of criticism for his tactical acumen, but you look at the disciplined performances of Maguire and Shaw compared to what they're putting in at the moment at United and it's chalk and cheese. So if I was a Manchester United fan, I'd be very confused as, as to what I want to happen this weekend because... Um, you know, you talk about the Atalanta performance and the comeback and the result papering over the cracks. Well, anything that United do now, any turnaround of form or decent performance is papering over the cracks as to what is just inevitably going to end in them having to replace Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as manager, whether it's next week or whether it's in six months. I mean, I think we can all agree that Manchester United's performance was obviously car crash 
stuff. It was, it was difficult to watch at times, actually, seeing Manchester United play like that, Steve. But I watched Spurs in the game before, and it was a lot defensively sounder than the Manchester United performance. But watching Spurs go forward, they're just so uninspiring. Offered absolutely nothing in that game. And I, I, I'm talking nothing, I, I didn't think. It was such a, such a poor display. So if, if Manchester United are, are bad at the back, Spurs are as abject going forward. Yeah, uninspiring. Do you think that's the Nuno appointment as a whole, if you're a Spurs fan? I've not seen much. I know they won the first three, didn't they? But you know, I've not seen much since then <laughs> no, of Spurs to give no, encouragement. If you're a Spurs fan, I think, it's first and foremost, for him to get Wolves A into the Premier League and B to them to get seventh uh, place on yeah, two consecutive seasons is one hell of an achievement. But clearly Spurs and, and Wolves two different uh, fan mentalities as well you know Spurs think they've got this you know right to to play a certain brand of football Nuno doesn't exactly bring you that certain brand of football does he I think if you're a Spurs fan you'd have been underwhelmed by the appointment and um, I just think that I mean for me what summed up the game last week was the was the will and the desire of Mikel Antonio to score that goal and it was being marked by Harry Kane who just seemed to just stick out his leg half-heartedly to try and stop it, whether he was caught unawares by the ball coming in or wasn't. It, it, it just seemed a little bit embarrassing and it kind of summed up mm. their season generally as a whole. His, his body language just wasn't fantastic. Antonio just wanted it more, just busting a gut. A player so full of confidence, so full of goals at the moment, just to get another goal to add it to his tally for this season. And it's completely different from, from Kane. I thought Spurs were, were very poor at the Hammers and I thought uh, West Ham, you know, did, were deserved victors in that game as well. Having said that, though, Spurs are still fifth favourites to finish in the top four as well at nine to two. So clearly, from a bookmaking point of view, we still think there's a little bit more in the tank, you know, for for Nuno and Spurs yet. So it'd probably be folly to, you know, to write them off. And clearly, Nuno's only been there for five minutes compared to Ollie, who's been there yeah, for nearly three fair. years. So yeah, I don't, per, personally, I don't see I, I don't see Nuno going anywhere soon. And, and hopefully, yeah, hope he can kick on. And, and you know, they, this game against Manchester United will be a great platform to do that. Conan George, give us your tip. I'm I'm pretty surprised to see how short Manchester United are on the back of, of, of the result. You know, you've got Tottenham are 15 to 8, the draw 13 to 5, 11 to 8 Manchester United to win. I'm just going to back Spurs to win at 15 to 8. Um, I, I'm not a fan of the Spurs side. I, at the moment, I, I couldn't agree more about their performance on, on Sunday. The only thing I would say is that at least they, for the first time, this season, they looked to understand how to keep possession of the ball. Now, I know they did absolutely nothing with it, but that in itself is progress because I haven't really understood what the game plan's meant to be so far this season. But I, I just think with home advantage and given that there is a fair chance here that Manchester United, um, if you look at the discipline of the players, if you look at a fair few of the quite concerning comments from, from certain key players in the press about what they think is going on there, uh, it, it's a massive job um, from everyone at the club to motivate themselves to bounce back from that. And I'm purely taking a chance. I, I don't think there's a great deal between these two sides. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Manchester United are far the, by far the better side and win this game 2-0. But I'm just going to chance on the fact that they're, it's going to be tough for them to bounce back and an early goal could make it very difficult if they did concede it and think that Spurs have to be worth basically chancing at 15-8. to This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. 
Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Game three sees us look at Norwich against Leeds. Now, Steve, a sluggish start from Leeds has quickly turned into looking a little bit like a relegation fight. They've had injuries. You know, Bielsa likes to work with a small squad anyway. Are you concerned for them? No. No, I'm not. I, th- I think they'll be okay. The Leeds United were the, the hipster's choice last season. You know, they were finishing the top half. They were great to watch, new to the Premier League. They finished off the season very nicely with some some nice dead rubbers. I think they won the last four, which might have flattered them just a little bit. You've mentioned injuries there, Dan. Um, Bielsa's not been anywhere near his, his, his favoured 11 this season. Key injuries yeah. as well. You know, the likes of Bamford, uh, Phillips, Ailing, of course, as well, has been out. And frustratingly for him, I would imagine, the former some key players who were so pivotal for them last season. I'm thinking of the players like Click, uh, Harrison. Uh, I think some of these players have had COVID as well. So the type of football that they play, you know, and, and coming back from such a thing as COVID as well, Cannot have been been ideal. The new signings, the few new signings that he's brought in as well. I don't think they've they've hit the ground running. I think one signing that they got very close to by all accounts, but have missed out, and we've seen him flourish elsewhere because he wanted to stop in London was Conor Gallagher. I think he would have been absolutely super well, ideal for Leeds. Yeah, for you know that number eight. Um, I think the last senior midfielder, they central midfielder, signed was Adam Forshaw back in 2018. So that's been a been a while in that department there. But he's been he's been brilliant, you know, Conor Gallagher, and I, I'm pretty sure he would have been absolutely fantastic for them as well. So at this stage, yeah, listen, they were nine to one preseason for relegation. They're into seven to two now. I'm not that concerned, Dan, at, the, at, at this fairly early stage, a, a quarter of the way through the season. Rafinha's the boy, though, isn't he, George, for, for <laughs> Leeds? You know, when, once he gets fit and firing again, he is a game changer. One of the most fascinating players to watch in the Premier League, in my opinion. Yeah, he is. And I think a, a few Leeds fans were pretty concerned when he hobbled off against uh, Wolves o- over the weekend uh, in that one old draw, where, where I think it's worth pointing out that even though Leeds' form is pretty poor, they, they deserve to win that game. They were the better side throughout and, and will be... Yeah, a lot of chances. Fr- yeah, and they'll be frustrated that they failed to, you know, having scored a very late penalty um, to get the point. I think on the balance of play, they'll be disappointed they couldn't get back into it earlier. Uh, and, and get the three points. Um, although, you know, game state, obviously, when you're when you're one nil down after 10 minutes does suggest you're, you're naturally going to be the team on top. Um, but with, I mean, with Rafinha, Leeds fans were concerned. There seems to be a suggestion where he came out afterwards and said the injury was nowhere near as bad as it initially looked. And there seems to be some suggestion that he could even start here against Norwich, which would be a massive boost because, you know, they're missing Patrick Bamford, who's had a, a poor start to the season anyway. Um, they're missing Luke Ayling, who's who's so important to them, both defensively and going forward as well. So to lose Rafinha as well would see them really kind of at the pits. And we saw how poor they were uh, in the 1-0 loss at Southampton a couple of weeks ago. I mean, I, I'm not 
overly concerned about Leeds, especially in terms of, of relegation. I'm, I'm disappointed as somebody who's followed um, Marcelo Bielsa's time there and, and loved watching this team through the Championship into the Premier League. I'm disappointed to see them looking like a bit of a shadow of their of, of their former selves. Um, and this game in itself is is a massive pressure game because they're irrespective of, of whether you've got injuries or not at the moment the way that Norwich are playing and the way that most teams have no issue beating them even if it's unfair to expect them to win on the roads uh, anything but a win will see um, their stock fall even further so I'm interested to see how it's going to play out two two teams who are obviously very aggressive off the ball although Norwich have, have seemingly kind of part that side of their game for, for the time being um, but yeah Rafinha being present in this game um, should be a massive boost to them because given Norwich's defensive frailties, he should be able to dominate. Fatigue is always something that gets levelled at Leeds, George, if, if things aren't going well. Is that, is that a factor at all? I mean, it's very early on in the season, but you know, Bielsa does have tough demands on his players, both in training and on match days. Is it three seasons mm. under Bielsa? This is, this is the third Is it the third season or the fourth season? Fourth season. Under, fourth season under, under Bielsa now. You know, Is it a burnout? Because sometimes it could be a mental burnout as well. It's hard to say. I mean, there, there was that in his first season, there was a, a period in the championship where uh, Leeds form tailed off massively in the second half of the season. And a lot of people pointed at burnout saying this is what always happens with, with Bielsa. But the underlying numbers hadn't changed. The, the running metrics hadn't changed. Probably the only time that running metrics actually mean anything um, when you're talking about fatigue and, and burnout. Um, the, you know, all the stuff suggested they were still playing well. They did, were just going through a run, you know, a bad run of form despite the performances not dipping, which can happen. Now, that there are issues in terms of key personnel. You, you know, you look at Calvin Phillips, you look at the demands that have been asked of him for the past three seasons under Marcelo Bielsa. He had an injury last season as well. Then having to play every game in the Euros um, for England in centre midfield was a massive summer for him. He's had injury issues coming back into the side this season. It, it's understandable if the type of football that Marcelo Bielsa wants to play doesn't really suit somebody who's had to play so much football and had his own injury concerns as well. Is that Bielsa's fault? Probably not. Is it burnout? I, I guess it's uh, you know it, it's part, that's a symptom maybe of what's going on. But it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Leeds bounce back very quickly. I don't think this is going to be a lasting issue. Um, I, I don't think, you know, for a second, after four seasons of playing under Bielsa, there's suddenly the fitness levels have dipped to an extent that they're unable to execute his plan. So um, I think it's probably more to do with personnel. And as you mentioned, not being able to play his, his first side. I think they'll go on a run, Leeds. I think once they win one, they'll get a bit of rhythm and they'll get themselves going again. Now, we spoke at length about Norwich before and after their 7-0 thrashing last weekend, so make sure you listen back to Monday's episode with Mark Chapman for more on the Canaries. But before we finish with this game, Steve, can I have a prediction, please? Yeah, I mean, this time last season, Dan, I think Leeds had uh, just come back off two back-to-back 4-1 defeats against Leicester and Palace. And at this stage, last season, they conceded, I think, just one more goal. They've conceded one more goal this season. So, again... They go to Norwich, I think. Their odds against to win around the 11 to 10 mark, which surprised me. I, I, even though they have you know, their troubles at the moment, I thought there would be odds on to, to win down there. They're not. Their odds against. And just like you've just said, Dan, I think Leeds are capable of going down there and getting three valuable points and kicking on up the table. Right then, the one I've been looking forward to, game four, Aston Me Villa v West Ham. Yeah, <laughs> love, love speaking to Steve off the back of three defeats in a row for, for Villa. Absolutely excellent stuff. Now, when you're on a bad run, you mean, as I say, lost three in a row to, to Spurs, to Arsenal and to, to Wolves, not in that order. 
I would say this this is a tougher game than, than all of them. West Ham, they are one of the form teams in the Premier League, one of the best teams to watch. And when you've got a problem conceding set pieces like Villa have at the moment, West Ham aren't really who you want to be facing. No, definitely not, Dan. I mean, it's... Uh... My, my best mate's a Villa fan as well. I've, I've had him on the phone every day talking about the about the last three games. The the, the, the I first bet was half... you calling him as well. I bet it wasn't the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> the you were dreadful first half against Arsenal. Oh, embarrassing, embarrassing. Yeah. Of course, Smith Rowe had a, had a blinder as you'd uh, as you'd expect after being linked with him. You know, fourteen shots they added, five on target, a number of big chances. Whereas whereas Villa, you know, just nothing happened at all. You mentioned set plays. Is it five of the last six that you've conceded? Goals from there have been yeah, pen- yeah penalties, direct free kick and corners. Yeah, the big, I think the big f- factor that I keep getting told is the fact that you know Ollie Watkins seems bang out of form at the moment. Is that all down to Jack not being there? Because he and Jack seem to have a brilliant relationship, didn't they? Obviously, Grealish not being there is a, has an yeah, effect of, of the, course it as is, a yeah. football club. Yeah, I think it's more to do with at the moment Watkins and Ings as a partnership. I mean, my. Athletic 1874 podcast colleague Greg Evans has done a, done an article on on this this morning. Ings and Watkins isn't clicking. Yeah. Watkins led the line alone last season to brilliant effect. Was one of the best loan forwards in the Premier League last season. It just hasn't quite come together for Ings and Watkins so far. That they're not really linking up at all. Wendy is brought in to be the playmaker. He's not really got going, looks a little bit lost in the middle of the park. I think they're going to have to look at moving him back into his preferred position out wide. And then Leon Bailey, who's a fantastic player, has barely got on the pitch. So I think there's a few mitigating circumstances for, for Villa start and the way they're playing at the moment. But, you know, George, three at three at the back. I don't know whether you watch Villa against Arsenal on Friday. That was a bit of a clinic in how not to play three at the back. Yeah, it was. And the defensive numbers are, are, are what's troubling me the most about Villa at the moment, where, um, you know, you look at the, again, the XG stuff. Sorry for those who get tired of this, but, you know, Arsenal had an XG of 3.5 against you, which is just, you know, often you can watch a game and it can feel like one team's on top and, and the other's under the cosh. You look at the numbers afterwards and you realise that quite a lot of those chances were maybe, you know, quite low XG chances. Not the case here. Uh, and then even against Wolves, conceding 2.2 XG for the three goals as well. So, Villa are conceding goals, as you say, looking very disorganised defensively. That, you know, the, the press that was so effective last season against bigger sides seems to be bypassed fairly comfortably at the moment. Um, it, it's it's hard to put your finger on what exactly is going right rather than what's going wrong uh, at the moment. You know, key players have to come into it. We've spoken about Buendia on, on this pod before and, and, you know, he is a player that I... I have no doubt if, if Villa can keep hold of him until things are better, he'll start to improve. But he's not going to be the answer. He's not going to be the person that turns this around. You know, Leon Bailey, you're asking a lot for him to do the same. It, it strikes me as being to do with organisation, to do with understanding how you're going to set up defensively in order to provide that platform for to play the kind of high-pressing, energetic football that Dean Smith likes to play. And the question I have for you is that, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Dean Smith fan. Um, I'm, I'm a massive fan of him as a coach and as a man, to be honest. Uh, and, you know, he deserves immense respect for what he's done at Villa so far. Is he getting under pressure? Like, if, if if there's another abject performance, given the the wealth and the ambition of the Villa owners, how much longer will they stand for... You know, it feels like only a couple of weeks ago we were talking about Villa's decent start and how great his job Smith was doing, but pretty quickly things seem like, seem like they've turned around. I think if you lose four in a row, any manager in the Premier League, you're going to be under a little bit of pressure. I would say the fixtures are a little bit kinder. After, after this, there's a, there's a run of kinder games, which if you know if you mm. can pull together a couple of wins, you're then looking at being somewhere near the top six, top seven again. It's, 
Villa fans don't like it, but it, it will be a transitional season because so much of the football club was built around Jack Grealish and he's not there anymore and that isn't going to just come good overnight. They're going to have to try and build slowly. Against Dean Smith, I feel a bit sorry for him because since he's been at, at the club, really, just been in const- the club's just been in constant flux, constant rebuilds. He got them, got them promoted ahead of time and then had to buy a load of players because they had ageing players and loan players in the championship and they just had to do too much business and it didn't really come together and they stayed up by the skin of the teeth. Then last season was a bit more of a consolidation season, which, which, which he did, and there wasn't so much of a rebuild, just cleverer signings. And I don't think they wanted to have a high, as high a turnover this summer as they've had. So I just think he's, Villa being in a, in a state of flux hasn't helped. I think he's done a great job. But I think you know Newcastle are trying to hire a manager at the moment. You look at Tottenham and Manchester United potentially looking at new managers in the future, and there's not a lot of available great managers around. I think sometimes it's a bit better the devil you know. And I don't know whether John Terry leaving has, has played a part because we don't look the same defensively. But I'm, I'm very pro Dean Smith, although that, that wasn't the case on social media on Friday. Although I'm not really sure that social media is a great barometer of, of, of how things are, Steve. No, I'd, I'd, no, definitely not, Dan. Would you stick with a five at the bat? No. You know, no. Even, even <laughs> I suppose, from a, from a height point of view, even against you know West Ham, do you have to shoe on a few in because of the way they are from set plays, would you say? or? I don't know, because we, you know, I wouldn't associate Arsenal with being brilliant at set players, but they looked like they were going to score for every well, corner. Been and tra- was, yeah. Well, they've been practising, three centre-backs. Yeah, they've been practising yeah. by all accounts, according to The Athletic, the, with their new set-piece coach. I mean, let's be honest, who hasn't got a new set-piece set coach in oh, the... Oh, we've got uh, one. We, <laughs> we need to do a bit more work on the defensive <laughs> side. The attacking side was going well. Defensive, not so much now. What I don't about know. Then? I'd, Villa fans will be livid if we play three at the back again. Yeah, I suppose. Livid. Best team then, Dan... What what you're saying? Four three three with Bailey Ings, Watkins up top. Yeah, I think that's what he's going to have to. I think that's what we'll line up with. On, I'm not sure. I know our best team at the moment, yeah. but I'd say that's what he's going to have to line up with on Sunday. I think Wendell will, will drop out and Jacob Ramsey will come into midfield. Villa have to play three in midfield. They have to play three central midfielders because they just get overrun when they don't. And Ramsey yeah. coming out the side has actually coincided with a couple of couple of bad results. Scored a nice goal against Arsenal as well. Good to see Matty Cash declaring for Poland. A nice little. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's not going. He's not going to get a look in for England, is he? So glad he's going to have a chance to play international football. Putting the crosses in for Lewandowski. That'll be that'll be quite <laughs> nice for Matty Cash. We've done a lot about Villa and West Ham in recent weeks, George. Let's just touch on West Ham, who dumped Man City out of the League Cup on penalties in midweek. Man City finally losing a game in the League Cup. It'd be nice for Moyes to get a trophy, wouldn't it? Whatever they do this season, and I'm sure they've got top four, top six ambitions. For David, David Moyes would love to win a trophy. And for the career he's had, probably deserves to win a trophy as well. Yeah, he definitely does. It's funny, I've seen probably more on social media in the last six hours after their penalty win against City in the Carabao Cup, praising his performance that I did for most of last season when he led them into Europe over a 38-game Premier League campaign. Look, he's... You know, he's obviously just a very, very good coach whose reputation and, um, well, I mean, his reputation just took such a massive knock as a consequence of landing the, the biggest job in, in European football at the time. Um, and I think a lot of people, myself included, probably um, forgot a little bit about what he had done previously. You know, you look at the jobs he'd done at Sunderland and and you know, and afterwards, even at Sociedad, he wasn't given a chance. This is the first time since being Manchester United manager where David Moyes has been manager of a football club for an extended period of time. And, the you know, the, the, the quality and his ability to get results and the individual players who are improving. You know, we've spoken about Mikel Antonio here before, but he continues just to 
to elevate himself as a footballer. And that is the case with a lot of these players. You know, Declan Rice, a lot of people thought he had to leave West Ham to further his own personal development. No, I mean, he, he's developing massively uh, at West, West Ham under Moyes. So, yeah, I mean, he certainly deserves a trophy. Um, but I have a feeling he would probably take another sixth place finish and, you know, a, a big run in the Europa League, probably over winning the Carabao Cup. They're managing the load of the Europa League and the Premier League very well so far. Mm. I, know, I know it's early days, but they're, they're dealing very well with that. Not the, the largest squad in the world, but you know, just little tweaks here and there seems to be working for them. Come on then, George, depress me. How, how's this game going to play out on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I, I, West Ham are the favourites at six to four. I think that's short enough for me to get involved with away from home, um, especially given you know the, the clear qualities that Villa have in their sides. But those underlying numbers that I mentioned of Villa defensively set off massive alarm bells and it wouldn't surprise me if West Ham were at the very least the the dominant force in this game up until the first goal is scored so I'm going to back Mikel Antonio the man in form the guy who's causing every single defence problems that he's playing against at the moment um, we've spoken about the the lack of organisation in, in the Villa backline recently. So at eleven to two for Antonio to score first, given they're the favourites, uh, it wouldn't surprise me massively if after after West Ham do go ahead, or if West Ham did go ahead, Villa came back into it. But given the the, the recent defensive issues, that eleven to two seems seems big to me. Thanks ever so much, George. Cheers. Sorry, me no end. I said you might come back into it. I <laughs> know. Oh, I didn't believe you. I didn't believe. I think you were just saying that to me out of absolute sympathy. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Game five is Wolves v Everton, the Monday night football. Now, I'll, I'll open this up to either of you because I can't explain it. Can anyone explain what happened to Everton at the weekend against Watford? Wow, it was uh, it was a, it was a crazy like ten odd minutes, wasn't it? It was. Uh, I mean, there were four hundred and fifty to one to win that game, five two. By the way, there was just some crazy Everton defending. I'm just mm. just put it as a one off. Maybe maybe they were missing Mina from from set plays. Um, obviously. Calvert Lewin not been in the team either. You know, in your own box doesn't help matters. Mm, to Kure yeah. to, 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 to a lesser yeah. extent, I would say. And Beg Godfrey isn't the tallest um, at, at, at six foot. I think it was just one of those crazy 10, 15 minutes that Rafa's going to certainly be ironing iron out this weekend the, uh, on the training ground. It was, um, it was a great view in mind, but not if you're an Everton fan. Yeah, all that game was was players scoring against their old team, George. 
that was what that game was, wasn't he? Josh King and Rajalison. Yeah, I think you know the Michael Cox made a good point in his in his um, review of the game on the Athletic, saying that surely Richardson now just has to play up front. Um, you know, end the Rondon experiment for the time being. I know he's a an old ally of, of Rafa Benitez, but in in Richardson they have a player who, yes, he might be better coming off the wing, but he is a, a very good goal scorer, a very good player. He did it, but then um, it was Josh King who, you know, Josh King's now scored fifty one Premier League goals, which took me by surprise off one hundred and seventy nine games. Way too. Me too. Yeah. Um, you know, off, I mean, it's one hundred and seventy nine games, so it's a decent strike rate as well, and he's a player who. Yeah, before he left Bournemouth, he was being linked to he was linked to Villa for a time. He was even being linked as a before Cavani turned up as a possibility for Manchester United just to get bodies in um, as a striker. And he's a guy who probably doesn't get the credit that he deserves. He didn't score any goals in his very brief spell where he didn't play much at Everton last season. Um, but he proved here how good he can be. And you know the narrative around this game seems to be the, the Everton collapse, and that's fair because when you concede five goals at home to a side who cast aside as relegation fodder by most, then the inquiry has to start. But there have been, in, you know, the injuries to Mina, who it seems like isn't going to be fit for this one on Monday night at the moment, unless something changes. Dakure is a massive loss. Cavaloon is a massive loss. You're you're arguably taking three of their most important players there. Or I think you are taking three of their most important players. Whether they're the the, the three most important is up for debate. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see how Rafa reacts because that game is Rafa's nightmare. You know, to see a free-flowing game of football where your defence is all at sea and you're conceding five is not the way that Rafa Benitez likes his teams to be set out. So I'm, I'm interested to see how they react here and what Benitez does because I don't think they're going to have any help in terms of returning players. What Benitez does to try and ensure that there isn't a repeat here against another side who you know, you'd think are a more proficient attacking outfit than, than Watford. Yeah, let's look a little bit at Wolves, Dave. Wang Hee Chan. Wolves have suddenly got an additional goal threat to Raul Jimenez. Kind of thing they could have done with last season, actually, when he was out. And they've had a lot of good performances this season and they're starting to turn those into points now. And I would also say they've got a great collection of attacking players because they've always got a couple of great options to bring off the bench as well. So things are really looking good for Wolves. They are. But you know what the Wolves fans are like? They're moaning again now, aren't they? Just because... What about... The style of football now, it's gone back to like the Nuno style, hasn't it? It's been quite a bizarre season for for Wolves. The fact that they were playing brilliantly at the start, they were having a million shots, they couldn't hit a barn door, they were losing games, but they were playing great. So they were th- there was always, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take that because we can see it just turning around just that little bit. And now Wolves aren't playing as well as they did previously early in the season, but they're now getting results. And I've heard a few of them moaning, kind of saying, yeah, but it's going back to the Nuno style. I'm not sure about this new guy yet. Personally, I'd be I'd be rather happy about it all. Um, not more so than the boy Wang, who, who cannot stop scoring. What is that? Four shots on target, four goals, which is a brilliant return for him as well. Not sure it can carry on that for the rest of the season, clearly. Uh, <laughs> I think he's had seven shots in total, but it's a, it's a brilliant return but it won't last. Um, yeah, and Mardu and Everton are as generous as they were last weekend. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that is true. And defensively, I think they've been solid as well. Connor Cody continues to be, you know, a, you know I know he plays for Wolves, but he's a, he's a player that I like. I, I like a lot. I think he just gets on with the job. Uh, seems a very likeable defender as well. Steady away as normal. Their XG conceded from, from, from open play is the third best in the Premier League. Defensively, they've got no problems whatsoever. And, it, and it's, it's ticking along quite nicely for the Wolves as well. But I think just there, it's a bit of a head scratch at the moment. 
they're having loads of chances. They weren't scoring. Now they're having not so many chances, but scoring. But the Wolves fans seem to be not that pleased about that. Bizarre. Say so someone who's going under the radar a little bit is Max Kilman as well in the, in the, in the back three. He's That's very good back at bringing three now, the ball yeah. out. Yeah, they're all. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's. I mean, there are some places up for grabs, especially in that top half as well. So. Um, you know, Wolves obviously had a great win at your place. You know, they would have been... If they'd have won that game at Ellen Road, they'd have been fourth in the Premier League, which is not, you know, which is not too shabby, is it? So, mm-hmm. and, they've got, and they've got games coming up against Everton, Palace, West Ham, Norwich and Burnley, you know, to real kick on and cement their place in the top half. So, let's see where it all goes with Larger. So, um, yeah, I'm not... I'm, it's far too early to, to make comparisons between Large and, uh, and Nuno, but it'd uh, be interesting to see how it goes. I'd say it's certainly not worse at the moment you know steady progress I would say what's your tip for this one Steve? Yeah Martin Atkinson is in charge on this one he's he's not that card happy I know he sent two players off this season Xhaka and, and, and Ward Prowse but he's only had 15 yellows in seven Premier League matches so I fancy that trend to continue against these two I'm going to go for under three and a half cards in this one at Molyneux Catch your referee geek a little bit quiet recently, George. Well, I've had a look, but the games I've been allocated haven't been um, basically officiated by the ones who you want. So they'll come back okay. soon, don't It'll worry. Come. I look forward to that next week now that I've yeah. pointed it out. Just enough time for me to remind you that you can sign up to The Athletic at the moment for just £3.33 a month. To do that, just head to theathletic.com slash footballpod if you're not already a subscriber and you can take advantage of that offer promises to be another great weekend of premier league football so thanks to steve and thanks to george and of course thanks to all you guys for listening as well wherever you get your podcasts hit subscribe so you never miss a show and mark chapman david ornstein and co are going to be back on this feed on monday you've been listening to the athletic football podcast have a great weekend the athletic